<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, do you know about Secret Menu? It's the subscription tier of the A Thing or Two newsletter that goes deep. Shopping guides, market roundups, answers to reader questions, and a whole bunch of resources we swear by. Secret Menu subscribers receive an exclusive newsletter every Thursday and access to an archive of all of our content, even Monday newsletters dating back to 2012. It's four bucks a month and you can cancel anytime. Sign up at a thing or two hq.com. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will uniquely access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. We have a guest thingies episode we coming do. at you today um, with Sue Chan, someone who I feel like we've been like following for years and years and who's just kind of like a food entertaining world impresario. Is that she's one? Yeah, that how we use she's that one word? of the well, she she got her start in Momofuku and like helped it sort of become what we know it as today. But I also just think of her as one of those people like if you follow her around the Internet, you'll sort of be able to keep tabs on what's interesting what's in the cool. food world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. She's just like a cool food world gal shall yeah, we say totally let's say it let's speaking say speaking of cool gals oh my gosh you and i saw a movie last week and were profoundly moved by it profoundly i mean and moved. i'm not i'm not overstating it. i no. uh, profound profound no. We saw Judy Bloom Forever, which is a new documentary about Judy Bloom that is coming out, sort of pegged to the release, the theatrical release of their Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. It's streaming mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. We saw a screening hosted by the amazing brand Lingua Franca. It who's was, doing a collab around banned books, basically. They're doing Judy sweaters Bloom is at the center say, I read banned books. Yes. This movie, Claire, from start to finish, here's the thing. I feel like there's so many documentaries these days that that conceptually sound great and you watch them and you're Mm -hmm. like execution wise, like mm, middling, Mm -hmm. but like there would be fun takeaways or whatever. This was not that. This was just like a delight through and through on every level. It was an extraordinary story about an extraordinary person and it was extraordinarily well done. I'm no documentarian, but I was like, this is a good documentary. You know, this is a well done film. I was already excited to see it and I just walked away being like, well, this woman, can she get a can sainthood? How do we do that? I know that? we don't knight do we... people here in the U.S., <laughs> but she just needs some sort of special designation. That's right. she's her life story was is incredible. 
And well, you tell you you. I mean, we can we should we can call yeah. her Dom Judy Balloon at the very <laughs> least. Yes, please. Can we please? Okay. So there were so many things in this movie that were mm-hmm. compelling. Without giving like the whole thing away. Without giving the synopsis. <laughs> without giving the synopsis. After she was married. After she have ki- had kids. Was living in a sort of like post war suburban life and was like, mm-hmm. I need more. Like mm-hmm. I need more. And started writing first picture books that she calls sort of like poor man's Dr. Seuss books or mm-hmm. poor woman's Dr. Seuss books. And then got into chapter books. And it was a kind of a long road, but when her books hit, they like really hit mm-hmm. and kids found them to be so deeply relatable. And she says at some point that she has total recall and that she like deeply remembers the experience of being a child. She remembers like everything from third or fourth grade on or something. And that felt like kind of explained everything. It did feel like it explained everything, how she's able to write these books from the point of view of young people that feel so authentic and it's so rare and it, and and young people connect to it and young people of so many different generations connect to it because even though, you know, certain cultural parts of it are not of these stories are not timeless. The feeling of being a child is totally timeless. She just has this incredible life story. Like you said, she married really young. Her father dies right before she gets married. She has this unhappy marriage. She has fits and starts with the books. Then she has success with the books. And then the books are at the center of controversies and are being banned because she's talking about sex and young people. And she's talking about masturbation. She's just gone on to have so many different chapters of her career, of her love life, of her family life. And it's a it's a really inspirational story. The one thing that has not changed in her life is she has the same core group of girlfriends since she was a little kid, which was also a really moving like in a Hillary Clinton way. It felt like. Yeah. Yeah. These women are also interviewed for the documentary and there's some very charming scenes where she is speaking with them and they are recounting stories from their youth together. Of course, I think a lot of women our age look at Judy Bloom as this really culturally significant figure. I think what this documentary does an extraordinary job of is reminding you or sort of showing you just how significant and and more so than I think I, I appreciated. Agreed. 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 Significant and exceptional. She's really yes. exceptional. And how uh, determined, maybe isn't the word, mm-hmm. convicted. She was just very convicted about what she was doing. She felt unquestioning in her own approach. Yeah, in her own approach and to telling these stories and what should and shouldn't be in the stories and what should and shouldn't be part of the child or teenage experience. Right. Her career started well. She was in an unhappy marriage and she was really sort of subservient to the familial structure and the patriarchal structure of, like you said, these like post-war families. And even in that moment, she was subscribing to the same philosophy that became, I think, much louder later on in her career around how children's stories should be told, how children should be treated, the respect that they should be given in in school and in stories. And then yeah, she becomes this huge voice against the banned books. Movement, yeah, yes, which she said really took off during the Reagan era. Like as soon as Reagan got elected, that's when everybody came out of the woodwork and was like, we're going to start banning books, which was also a fascinating thing that that particular, you know, it makes perfect sense. But I don't think I had grasped that it was like at that juncture exactly. In addition to her friends, there were really delightful talking heads, including friends of the pod, like Mary H.K. Choi and Tiari Jones and just mm-hmm. authors and like Samantha Bee and like people who, who you know these who books I like influenced. That they included was Cecily Von Zigazar, who wrote Gossip Girl. And I was like, oh, this was a really interesting person to have on this film and sort of think about the through line between these books that I wouldn't have necessarily thought about myself. And Cecily says, oh, I think we met at a banned books event. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which just felt like, of of fucking course. I think my favorite talking Mm -hmm. heads in this documentary were two of the children who became her pen pals because she had kids writing to her constantly, right? But there were two that she like wrote back and forth a million times. But to set the scene, at some point in the last decade, the Yale archives, the, the library at Yale acquired all of Judy Bloom's correspondence. The, it, the collection is called Judy Bloom Papers. And it is a massive room filled to the ceiling with boxes and boxes of letters that people have written her. It's and, and that she has also responded to, you know, her responses to the extent that they have them. It is extraordinary to realize the scope of this collection. So there were two women who are now, you know adults in like sort of our age who kept up long running correspondences with Judy, like decades long, one to the point where this woman was having sort of rough going with her own parents. And it was her college graduation and she wasn't on the terms from Bryn Mawr, obviously, obviously she wasn't on terms with her parents (laughs) where it it was going to make sense for them to come. And she asked Judy, who she had never met in real life, if she would come. And Judy and her now husband came. And Judy wrote a letter after that was like, George and I had the best time. We were exactly <laughs> what we thought you would be. Like, what can you imagine? It was extraordinarily moving. It illustrated what comes through in every part of this documentary, which is that Judy Bloom cares so deeply about young people and that she understands youth in a truly visceral and exceptional way. And the stories of these two women and the letters that they wrote back and forth were so deeply moving. And one of the women talks about how Judy saved her life. And you, through hearing the letters, you very much understand like, yes, Judy did truly the save this woman's life. Yeah. yeah. Just through letter writing. And so she said, you know, basically at that point, it just became obvious to me that I needed to write Judy a letter every year and at every milestone just to sort of say like, I'm still here because it was because of her that I was still here. So when I had a baby, when I got married, when I turned 20, 21, 22, I was just like, this happened, you know, because I needed her <laughs> to know. I, I owed that to her. She's so, so special. So there were two books that this documentary brought up for me that I think it's just like not really been in my consciousness as mm-hmm. much. So one was Forever, which is, for lack of a better, like succinct descriptor, the sex book. Mm-hmm. And the story she tells is that her daughter comes to her and asks when her daughter was like a young teen and was like, mom, could you write a book about two nice kids who do it and nobody dies? <laughs> Because, yeah, before because was that someone, was that was what was going. Yeah. And I love that she was like, yeah, honey, I will do that for you. What a gift. I'd never read forever. I read it over last weekend. It was a delight. I mean, there are parts of it that like obviously don't hold up. Many parts mm-hmm. do. It was also it's pre AIDS. So mm-hmm. there's like also just kind of a certain sense around teenage sex that I think we did not grow up with. What year was it written? In the 70s. Yeah. So, yeah. Summer of love. Yeah, exactly. It's this idea of like, you know, just like don't get pregnant and stuff is kind Mm -hmm. of the vibe. The first line of this book is incredible. It's Sybil Davison has a genius IQ and has been laid by at least six different guys. (laughs) Goals. Goals. I mean, are you kidding me? And then the other book that I did not know about at all was Wifey. Did you know about Wifey? I didn't know about Wifey. I was thrilled to learn about Wifey. This was her first adult book. The original cover of this book is also so that era. It is like the, the torso of a woman naked, slipping her wedding ring off her finger. Sexy. 
come on. We got to read Wifey. You got to watch this documentary. It is so, it, it, it is profound. I, it we is cried. Profound. We couldn't get over it. It was so good. Thank you so much to Shopify for sponsoring today's show. You all know how much we love Shopify. We started using them in 2010 for our first business, use them all the way through and are so thrilled to be partnering with this company that supports so many of our favorite online businesses and frankly should be supporting more of them because, uh, you know, I just think everyone should have Shopify. One of the most thrilling Shopify developments for me personally as a consumer has been ShopPay, which is their one button checkout. We as consumers are lazy, lazy, yes. lazy, lazy. And, and I don't fault us as consumers. No, I get totally. it. It really is easy when your email address and shipping address and credit card info is all saved in one place. Like that makes a big difference. It it's it can be the thing that gets you over the edge. And I am so glad that Shopify has figured out with Shop Pay how to that, like get the smaller there. guys, smaller guys yes. can utilize that too. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling induction stoves or custom gibbets, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shop Shopify covers every sales channel from in-person POS systems to an all-in-one e-commerce platform and even lets you sell across social media marketplaces. It's packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or in code. Thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your business every step of your way. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash a thing or two, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash a thing or two to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash a thing or two. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Kreppel, full-time YouTuber, part-time preschool teacher, and now the host of the podcast Circle Time. Join me every week as me and my guests mix the childlike wonder and conversational openness and acceptance of preschool that we're all nostalgic for with the realism, honesty, and wisdom baked into adulthood. With classroom-structured roots, we'll rehash standout moments of day-to-day life, dive into buzzy pop culture moments, and really just get to know each other on a deeper level. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Kreppel and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Should we bring on our guest? Let's bring her on. So Sue Chan is, as we mentioned, a food world tastemaker who's worked with clients like A24, The New York Times, Gucci Osteria, Standard Hotels. She was previously the brand director of Momofuku. And now she's bringing all of her event planning chops and know-how to her site, Care of Chan, which will have guides and interviews and essays from people like chefs and florists and producers who can make us all feel more confident and comfortable in the realm of hosting, entertaining, planning gatherings, which, you know, we all need more of. Indeed. Hi, Sue. Where are you recording from? Where are we getting you from? I'm in Elysian Heights, which is just Mm. a fancy way of saying Echo Park. (laughs) Okay. I like it, though. It does sound fancy. Yeah, it does. I know. Whenever the Heights is in it, then it sounds fancy. (laughs) I I, I just, I think when you say Echo Park as like a former New Yorker, you feel a little bit Mm. cliche. It's like, it's like going from like Williamsburg to Echo Park, just the most cliche two neighborhoods one can move to. But yes, I am in it calling in from Echo Park. I moved to LA about a year ago and I'm loving it here. I was in New York for pretty much like 20 years because I went to college there. Mm-hmm. So oh it's nice and refreshing to have a new, you know, place to live because literally everything I go to is like a brand new experience. And, you know, after being 20 years somewhere, you 
I experienced pretty much like every street corner, every bar, restaurant in New York City. Actually, so much so that last time I was back in town a couple of weeks ago, there were so many places where I was like, oh, I remember when this place was so and was this and that. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm getting so old. Where your grandparents. Then you're, I'm one of those. Yeah. I'm one of those. Yeah. yeah. Where the yeah. city has kind of like turned over once over, you know, all the locations have turned over mm-hmm. once over. Yeah. yeah. There's an underlying map for what used to be yes, there in your exactly. brain. Yeah. What precipitated the move? You know, looking for a change of pace. And also, I, I've been spending a lot more time in LA the last couple years, and my family is from here. And so, yeah, just looking for a, a change of pace and, and a new place to discover. <laughs> Fair enough. Can you give us a little bit of your career trajectory, the sort of like how you got to this place and how we are all getting to this place of care of chance? Yeah, for sure. So, gosh, it's so crazy to consider myself an industry veteran. But I, I, I spent my entire career in the con- in the restaurant industry. And it all started when I was at Barnard, my senior year of college. I was just working on my thesis and I took a cooking class. And because I did well in the cooking class, they set me up with an externship at the Spotted Pig, which RIP, now we live in a different like, world where the Spotted Pig does not exist. Uh, so I did an externship at the Spotted Pig and that was my first experience at a restaurant and really loved restaurant culture and just loved how all the restaurant staff, front of house, back and pals, who were just like one big family. Mm. And so when I left college, I, I still wanted to pursue food. I, I did a stint at Food Bank for New York City. So working in food nonprofit, because I thought maybe I wanted to help save the world through food. And then after that, was just really dying to get back into the restaurant industry and got a chef assistant position at Momofuku. At that point, you know, Dave Chang's New Yorker profile had just come out. Co had just opened and he was about to open up Milk Bar with Christina Tosi. So, you know, at that point, a real moment, a real moment, a real moment. where Dave's empire was just in the East Village. And then by the time I left seven years ago, we kind of joked around that the sun would never set on Momofuku because at that point he had restaurants <laughs> in Sydney, Toronto, and then New York. So, yeah, so worked at Momofuku for seven years, quickly moved from chef assistant to like PR director and then eventually to brand director just because he was kind of, you know, growing so fast and growing so big and opportunities were so vast that it wasn't just PR that we were overseeing, but it was more brand management. And then after that, left Mofuku to start my own agency, essentially doing what I did for Dave, but for other chefs and restaurants. So started Care of Chan, which at first was a PR and management agency. So we worked with chefs, restaurants, food brands, and then about a year ago, we pivoted to just focus on events. So now we call ourselves a creative marketing agency and we specialize in production programming and partnership services. But we are about to launch a new site that hopes to be everyone's trusted source for all things convivial. So we'll provide resources, inspiration, articles, really help people gather with more purpose and, and in a better way. What made you want to start a site that we could all engage with in that way? What made that feel exciting to you? Yeah, I've always loved bringing people together over ideas and in real life and and also over food. And, you know, I think in a post-COVID world, we're all definitely wanting to get back together and in person and also in a world where very much work is work from home or a hybrid model. And then also, you know, religion is at an all-time low and depression is at all-time high and the digital world is like taken over. I felt like there needs to be more resources to help people gather in real life. This is kind of one step toward that and you have 
other big lofty goals of what else we want to build. But ultimately, I'm, I want to dedicate my life to helping people gather more in person so that they hopefully find greater connection with each other and ultimately joy from that. And who are you really taking inspiration from these days in that realm? Oh, gosh. I mean, when I was growing up, I it sounds like such a cliche thing to like be in the food space and be like Martha Stewart. But I mean, I grew up idolizing How can Martha you not? Stewart. How can you not? She also went to yeah. Barbara, my mm. alma mater. So, mm-hmm. so she's like, yeah. yeah. So I mean, just mostly from a business perspective and, and also just how she changed the game. I mean, for a long time, she was the only person doing what she was doing. And obviously now there's a lot of talent in that like home cooking, home entertaining space, but definitely a pioneer. And then just a really badass business person, which is really inspiring as someone who would love to hopefully one day have have a bit of a mini empire. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I feel like that was very ahead of her time, right? Because it now was. We, we all know we that, were yeah. using Omni then. No, yeah. MSLO now, was the OG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like now, that is unfortunately or unfortunately, it's what brands need to do in order to survive and have like not only digital but also in person and. All, all these touch points for their customers to, to interact with them. But, but yeah, she was definitely one of the first. For us, it's really important that's an evergreen site. Mm. It's not about churning out so much content that we get so many eyeballs. We really just want it to be like an evergreen resource where you're planning your best friend's bridal shower or you're a marketing director at some brand and you need to get a chef for this event that you're doing that any of, you know, consumer or business folks that they can go onto the site and just use it as a resource to get inspiration and to get resources in order to plan their event. I think we kind of view it as like, what if a book or a magazine were like online that people could keep out referencing? But it's really just meant to be like a home for all of this information to live. When you're thinking about gatherings in your own life, what are your go-tos? How how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, obviously really good food. I I would say I'm, I'm less of a good cook and more of like a good entertainer in that mm, good mm-hmm. at curating like a really great cheese board <laughs> and, and just kind of like bringing together the bits and pieces and also obviously bringing in really great beverages. But it's really about the company, I think. Like you, if you have a really great group of people, that's all that matters. You know, helping people meet new people, but also do like a friend matchmaking situation where you're like, oh, this friend on this side of my life should really meet this other friend on this other side of my life because they have common interests or who knows, they might be able to collaborate on something. But that's what I think excites me the most about bringing people together is helping people connect, whether it results in a friendship or a business deal, but just helping kind of instigate that for people. How do you actually do that? My new thing is because every time I'm in New York, uh, you know, my time is limited and I want to make sure I have lots of people to see, lots of meetings to take. And so my new thing is just booking a six top, which apparently the Italians say that a six top is the perfect dinner party size because everyone mm. can, yeah. because You can um, still talk to everybody. It's not so many that they're two sides of a table or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so I think the Italians say that. I have to fact check that because there's lots of new restaurants. Like every other day there's a new restaurant. So I'll just book a six top at a few restaurants throughout the week and then just populate them with friends and contacts and kind of do like a friend potluck eventually at these dinners. Yeah. Clever. Great idea. Clever. I do try for new restaurants, but I also just love the classics. Like I'm a sucker for Odeon and for Omen, mm-hmm. which it's super consistent. There's always something on the menu for everyone. 
And it's also just like a really amazing vibe. The next level up that people I think want out of a dining out experience, or at least what I want from a dining out experience is they want good service, of course, but also a good vibe. And I think, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm old or they're just, or, or what, what, but going to bars less, going to clubs less. I feel like clubs don't even really exist anymore in New York. And so where else do you go to like see people or to meet people? And I think what I love about places like Odeon and Omen, they, at the end of the day, have a really long history and have a lot of interesting clientele that has come through there and continues to go there. But it's really just a, a community local spot where you will bump into people whenever you go there. I think Lucien is another good example of a place like that where pretty much we guarantee that you go on any night and you will bump into someone, which is that kind of interaction, I, I think is like something that I really miss as the world becomes more and more digital. Thanks so much to AirUp for sponsoring today's episode. You know when you want to enjoy a cold drink and your options are either something with lots of sugar or just boring plain water? If you want to stay properly hydrated and conscious of your health, it feels like there's no in-between, right? Well, here's something that'll blow your mind. AirUp, the first drinking system that flavors water through scent. Impossible? Nope. AirUp is the world's first water bottle that harnesses the power of retronasal smell to bring flavor to water through scent. You're just drinking plain water, but enjoying a flavorful beverage. From watermelon and peach to wild berry, there is a flavor pod that everyone will love. Drink water like never before, thanks to AirUp. Get the best of both worlds, tasty flavors, and all the benefits of water today by clicking the AirUp link in the description. Use code a thing or two for 15% off your purchase. If you like this podcast, guess which other podcast you will like? Bad on Paper, which is a chat show hosted by Becca Freeman and Olivia Mentor. We get a lot of feedback from people that they listen to our podcast while going on walks. Um, mm-hmm. They don't They don't usually say hot girl walks, bless them, mm-hmm. but I think those what, are what they are based <laughs> yeah. on my understanding. They definitely are. And ours comes out on Monday. These drop on Wednesday. Wednesday's a ideal day for a walk, just a Agreed. dream walking day. We all need a Wednesday walk um, and a mm-hmm. Wednesday, just like get out of the house. If you're working from home, a Wednesday commute to the subway, all of it. Um, and they talk so much about books. They talk so much about so many things we care about. They're like g- talking about lessons in chemistry recently. They're talking about Daisy Jones and the six topics people are interested in. And I feel like you, it's a good nodding along, laughing with your friends, stroll to take in the middle of the day completely. They also have a monthly book club. They are big readers. Listeners say the show feels like having a glass of wine with your best friend and topics range from favorite rom-com tropes to which hyped products are worth it to how to get over your imposter syndrome. They also have very good guests. They just had on Bonnie Garmus, the author of Lessons in Chemistry. Um, And both of them are currently writing books. You get to follow along with that. And you know what? You can jump in anywhere. This is one of these shows where there's a huge back catalog, but you do not need to like start at the beginning. You can, you You don't have to be a completist. Just get in there. So listen, bat on paper every Wednesday. Sue, did you bring some thingies for us? I did. I did. I have lots of thingies. Oh my gosh. We want them all. We want them all. Great. So I'm obsessed with condiments. Back to what I was saying about not really cooking, admittedly, because I'm definitely eating out more than anything, Mm -hmm. whether at restaurants or dinner parties. LA is big on dinner parties. That's been the cool Mm. thing about LA, by the way. Everyone always asks me, what's your favorite restaurant in LA? And I'm like, it's actually my friend, Gina, who has the brand Yola Medcal. She throws the Mm. most incredible Mm -hmm. dinner parties. One, the food is always excellent. And then she just gathers a bunch of really incredible people always at her house. And that, I would say, is my favorite 
restaurant in LA. <laughs> Very exclusive. You have to know somebody to get a yes, table. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think that's also going to be the future is more like supper clubs. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we're seeing more and more like members only clubs, which yes. are an exclusivity level that I don't, that doesn't necessarily speak to me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think something more, I think people are craving something more intimate and something a little bit more mm-hmm. safe, right? Where it's like, we're all friends of friends. Mm-hmm. Just because the world is such a crazy, weird place now. But yeah, so I am out a lot and very rarely cook myself. And when I do, I cook something simple. And and so I really rely actually on condiments because mm-hmm. it's really easy to spice something up literally oh, yeah. <laughs> whenever you're cooking. What are your favorites? One of my favorite places to buy condiments is the Japanese pantry, which mm. my friend Brady told me about during the pandemic when we were actually cooking a lot. But they have just all sorts of really amazing Japanese ingredients. So, you know, vinegars and oils, but they're togarashi. Ooh. And they have a, a few different kinds. And the togarashi is so incredible. And I just put that on everything. Actually, this morning, I just had some soft boiled eggs with some togarashi Yum. on it. And it really just changes everything, everything. I mean, on avocado toast, put some togarashi and yeah. It's it's kind of life changing. Have you tried Kabi Foods? Yes, C-A-B-I? they're amazing. So yes. good, right? So good. Yeah, Obsessed. that I is just restocked. Yeah, there's all these really fun, incredible food companies popping up mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. are really well designed yes. and also yes. use better ingredients. Any other condiments we need to know about or condiments yeah. versus? Right. There's a so I'm half Taiwanese, half Malaysian, and there's this other great e-commerce site called. Hai Taiwanese Pantry. Mm. They have a lot of Taiwanese mm. ingredients that are really fun to play around with, like an oyster sauce, things like that. But mm-hmm. they actually have the best dried fruits that I've ever Ooh, had. Yeah, this is, right, this right, is how right. we know yeah. them. And the packaging is oh, very so cute, so right? Cute. Like very gifty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love yeah. giving that as a gift. I, I, in general, love to give food as a gift just because you know, no one needs another, like, more stuff, right? And it's really hard to gauge, like, I don't know, does this person need this mug or whatever? And so I think food items are, like, the best gifts to give. And... 100% food or books, that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's, like, the way to go. Or personalized stationery. That's a really good Mm -hmm. gift, too. Mm -hmm. Pretty much a good gift is something that you want but would never necessarily buy for yourself. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yes. That's it. Totally. But, yeah, but the, the dried mangoes from Hunhai is are so killer so good <laughs> the other asian condiment source that i've been leaning on is mala market do you know them m-a-l-a oh, yes. yes ruth reichel turned me onto this and hurt because i just get i get all of my good tips from her newsletter you love ruth you love <laughs> ruth she's like the only newsletter yeah. i consistently read <laughs> yeah i mean she but, is yeah. such a legend and and very mm-hmm. og yeah mm-hmm. yeah legend. yeah yeah Okay, love That's this. also incredible, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I love Macienda make mm, um, mm-hmm. a, a corn flour, which is really incredible. And my new thing is when I do cook, making homemade pasta and homemade tortillas are, it's so easy. And I think it feels intimidating because you're just like, oh, what does this mean? But but it's actually so easy and it's really fun. And once you get the hang of it, it's it's really simple. So Love Mafiendas. They have like a blue corn flour. That, that's it really is cool. just so easy, that mm-hmm. process. I don't know why I was intimidated by it at of first. Course. You're mixing water yeah. and flour. Like it's just, it's really. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It. That is really <laughs> it. Yeah. Eric and I also just got bowls from Macienda. These like beautiful, oh, giant yes. blue serving bowls. They so partnered beautiful. with a yeah. Oaxacan yeah. pottery company that they had met there on their first like trip down there. And we're like, yeah, let's do this too. It's They're smart. just a yeah. really like cool, cool company with a lot of interesting products. 
I know. And Jorge, the owner, is the nicest person too. So you always want to support those businesses with mm-hmm. like really amazing nice founders. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love what they're doing. Yeah. So those are like the food product. But I feel like one of my favorite grocery stores here, which I don't know if New York people know about it. It might just be like a local thing, but Cookbook. It's really oh, yeah. Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Cookbook is yeah. like a couple blocks away from my house. And it's really nice because I can walk there on a daily basis and just like buy some produce to cook with that night. But yeah, it's such an incredible. And John and Vinny's just took it over. Right. That's what um, I was going to say. We knew we've known about Cookbook for a while. Cookbook had to occupy a bigger portion of our brains in the moment that our LA friends found out that John and Vinny's was acquiring it and it was a big like will it still be good are they going to ruin it what will happen a lot of anxiety and hand wringing but we were it was as New Yorkers it was a fun drama for us to engage (laughs) I love that I love that I I know that there was a little bit of noise around that acquisition (laughs) because of course and it's so funny because well one it feels like such a small village thing like you guys were saying to be concerned Mm -hmm. about this but John and Vinny's of the day is also just like so another small business. another small business yeah. and they're just trying to grow but they were like the disney of it in this moment yeah. it was like disney acquiring <laughs> miramax and this was it yeah no exactly exactly which yeah. is so funny but i mean to be honest i think had they not taken it over who knows if cookbook would have survived because they're you know providing a business infrastructure to it not to like commercialize it but more just to These like businesses make it... are really hard to run and yes. to make succeed yeah yes exactly exactly like i think i understand the previous owner you know obviously great visionary with the concept it's essentially like a farmer's market but in a grocery store format and they have just like the most amazing produce so it can be a little For bit new yorkers who are but... listening i just want to contextualize because we do have a big new york audience it's sort of a foragers could never situation. It's what yes. foragers wishes that it was. California has the luxury of having so many great American, so many great farms yes. in the state. And so just getting better produce pretty much is like a farmer's market in a grocery store format can actually exist. Whereas, yeah, I, I don't know if that is possible in New York because you don't have amazing produce all year round. For the grocery tourists, what is the move at Cookbook? I'm a sucker for the prepared foods, which I think mm-hmm. they're, you know, John Mays, of course, is going to expand the concept. And I think they're going to do more prepared foods going forward. I'm I'm a sucker for egg salad. Obviously, I can mm-hmm. make that at home, but there's something about how <laughs> someone else makes it. Yes. And I think I just like am a little bit more conservative with like all the mayo and creme fraiche and all that stuff. But when someone else makes yeah. it. But they make this carrot sandwich, which I know sounds weird, but it just really hits the spot sometimes on this Bubba and Grandma's focaccia. There's hummus in it and like roasted carrots. It, it's really delicious. But yeah, I sucker for their sandwiches and for their prepared foods. What other thingies did you bring for us? What other thingies? Gosh, do you guys know about the knobbies? No. Do you guys have a Denabe? No. Oh, I feel like that's also such an LA thing. I mean, I, I'm sure I live very much in an east side bubble with me and my friends, but I feel like when I moved here, I realized all of my friends have Denabe. <laughs> Oh, wow. the Japanese. Like the, the, yes, yes, exactly. yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yeah, it's yeah. a Japanese clay rice cooker, but you can cook all yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. I would say, you know, traditionally people would make like a salmon rice situation, but it's just so convenient. It's a really great way to entertain for a big group of people if you're kind of mm-hmm. short on time for cooking. Dave Chang for New Year's, we all spent New Year's together with a few other friends. He did like a whole spread of like a few different Denabes, which was really easy. And it was just like an easy way to make a lot of food for a lot of people. But yeah, everyone should definitely get one. There's this really incredible Japanese goods store called Torio that sells Denabes, but also just a lot of other really beautiful Japanese homewares. 
the woman okay. who owns that shop, she dubbed herself Mrs. Danabe. And she has a cookbook <laughs> that she wrote with Kyle McCotton that is all about Danabe's and, and recipes that do make in Danabe's. Yeah. So good. What do you make in yours? I love doing just like a simple rice situation, like a chicken rice or salmon rice. Just because it's really easy. Yeah. Also making like sweet potato rice is really incredible. Like Japanese sweet potato, which is like one of my favorite vegetables. That's also mm-hmm. really delicious because mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it kind of like gets also a little bit mashed up into the rice. Right, right, right. Because you're cooking both in there. The chicken exactly. and the rice or the vegetable and the rice. Yeah, exactly. You essentially, I mean, it depends on what meat and what vegetable you're using mm-hmm. or what protein. But yes, pretty much everything cooks in that one thing. And you have like a pot of uh, like like a whole, it's like a, a dish in one situation. Right, right. Smart. What else are you excited about these days? Uh, well, talking about gifts, you know, it's always about the things you want, but would never buy for yourself. I, I think personalizing gifts is really incredible. Like I was mentioning before, stationery, personalized stationery, giving that to a friend. A friend actually just bought me all those personalized notepads that has like my mm. nickname on it, which is really fun. And that's yeah. super cute. Yeah, it's just, it's just so personal. And again, I would have never gone out and gotten that for myself. But there's this really yeah. great place in Milan. Um, probably going to butcher the name, but Oli. Mm. It's a okay. stationery store that's been around since 1881 it's just so fun to go in there and it just feels like a relic of the past right it's like i just feel like you know in this day and age can a stationery store even afford rent in new york city not sure about that but yeah it's just it's such a beautiful place and they also sell like notebooks that you can get personalized and just this really really beautiful stationery and just really amazing paper stock that's one of my favorite things What's the aesthetic of their paper or their stationery? I mean, it's old school. So they, I mean, you can pick all sorts of colors and marks, but, you know, more old school than modern, I would say. But of course, they have different fonts that you can pick for the personalization. Yep, yep, yep. But, but yeah, but the store is just super fun to walk around. You know, there's like lots of different pens, like notebooks and mm-hmm. papers and all that, which, you know, I'm a sucker for tactile things. <laughs> Are you the sort of person when you buy gifts, do you buy for each individual person or do you do like we're doing stationery this year or we're doing condiments this year or whatever? I do it by each individual person, which is definitely a little, a lot more tedious, but, but yeah, I mean, definitely base it on the person. But I think when it comes to buying food products for people, like what's not the love about like a set of condiments from Japanese pantry, right? That's also just like really easy to like, you know, during the holiday season, just do that for everyone. Flamingo Estate also has really great gifts just because the packaging is amazing. And it's just a, a, a nice experience when you open up their products and they and they have all sorts of funny collaborations for lack of a better word to like use. Sesame Street. Yeah, Sesame yeah. Street. But they also <laughs> collaborated with like all these celebrities for this line of honey. Right. On the, on the, so on the smart. Honey. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. It was like grown in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. LeBron or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, like LeBron, <laughs> James, Julianne Moore, and like Highway Way, which is kind of like funny, <laughs> funny and quirky. And I think for the right person could be a real hoot. But but yeah, they have some fun gifts. Um, truly another, truly LA specimen. <laughs> Couldn't exist yeah. anywhere else. Yeah, um, I, I know. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I feel like I am not outsider like transplant new yorker who's like that feels so la and then i'm like doing it myself you know (laughs) of course Um, there's a reason there's a reason people love it like going to the farmer's market the hollywood 
farmer's market is like such a scene on Sundays. <laughs> it's like, that's the place to meet people and to like see people is like the farmer's market on Sundays in Hollywood. <laughs> is that your go-to farmer's market? That's my go-to farmer's market, yeah. The okay. Santa Monica farmer's market is really incredible as well, but it's just like a little too far away for yeah. me to be going there on a weekly basis. But we have the Hollywood is That's the one my dad has converted his loyalty to. And I is Hollywood? No, Santa Monica. So Santa I Monica. just think it lacks yeah. charm, but it's fine. It's just too big. I mean, well, I was gonna say it's really big, so it can be yeah. overwhelming because you're like, yeah. which oranges do I get? But or which avocados do I get? I mean, all the best farms are there. But yeah, it can be a little bit overwhelming. That's why cookbook is nice. It's just like there's only just one right. One avocado. One orange right. off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you had any particularly good sightings at the Hollywood Farmer's Market? Oh, gosh. No, but the, one of Renee Renzeppi was just in town on his book tour mm. and he did um, a stop there. It was just like nice that like such a famous chef like Renee Renzeppi, who we've collaborated with and I've known for a while now, would like, you know, do a book signing at the farmer's market. It just goes to show just how that is cool. Yeah. The farmer's market is to chefs mm-hmm. and obviously all the world's best chefs to get most of their produce from local farms. But it's just cool to see that. And I mean, there was like a crazy line and it's always packed, but it was like the craziest line I've ever seen in the farmer's market. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was even bigger than ramp season in New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. When when ramp season became a thing, I was that was when I was externing at the Spotted Pig. I remember the Spotted Pig was one of the first restaurants to like feature ramps, like I think like a ramp pesto or, or whatever they had on the menu. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's funny how we had that as obsession. Also, Brussels sprouts, right? were like a huge mm, thing for a while. Yeah. Now you see. Well, them. It's like when everybody. It's like when everybody ter- learned what like seasonality was, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> we had structure for be like, oh, ramps start. The Brussels yeah. sprouts was two things. One, they engineered them to taste better. And then two, I actually just blame Dave Chang for it. Like his recipe yes. for it was the thing that made yeah. them explode. And that, and then he published the recipe, I think in Bon Appetit or something. And it just home cooks everywhere. We're like, cool, bacon, lemon, Brussels sprouts. Got it. Fish sauce. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I yeah. mean, absolutely. Because it definitely yeah. made Brussels sprouts accessible because it's like, yes. oh, tastes better with bacon, huh? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Who could have guessed? Exactly. Yeah. Sue, this was a total delight. We are so excited Aww. for this website. It's thank such a you. genius concept. And we're just excited to watch what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your guys' time. Of course. Thanks so much. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.